0: We've been uh, asked to address the theme of changing conversations and uh, I, I think certainly in the field that I'm in, that's a really important point to be at uh, from the discourses that are going on within architecture as well as throughout society. I think that it is time to change the way that, uh, that we look at things. And uh, as an architect, and I've been involved with architectural projects, with urban planning projects and more recently uh, projects that engage much more with the landscape. Now I can see so many opportunities and so many ways in which design can contribute and and has the capacity to affect social change. And that's what I'm going to talk to you today about. Starting off, uh, I think it might be useful to talk a little bit about architecture because I think for many people, architecture is uh, a a slightly mystical activity. Uh, Not many people know what architects do. A lot of the time I'm not sure that the architects know what they're doing, but uh, we try and uh, it's important to try and uh, kind of embrace that and try and understand what that means. And when I talk about architecture today, I'm not talking about a profession, I'm not talking about an activity that's pursued by a sort of select group of people with some specialized knowledge. Uh, I'm talking about architecture in the bigger sense, and architecture in terms of the room that we're in. Architecture is a pervasive activity. Architecture is the activity that is the creation of shelter, the creation of space, the design and the creation of spaces between buildings, the landscape. It's, it's man's interaction with the landscape, our construction of the built environment. That's what I, that's what I mean by, by architecture. Uh, it's, it's, not a, it's not a specialized thing. Um, And and over the last, I suppose, 20-30 years uh, with the predominance of the internet and the the, the wonderful and exciting advancements that are taking place in technology one of the things that has happened is that uh, our perception of the world has become commodified it's become reduced in many ways to a perception that is two-dimensional we spend a lot of our time, a lot of our um, lives looking at the world through screens whether it's our laptops or television screens or monitors at airports or in the workplace or even our telephones are now screens and it, it has this effect of, of, of reducing our perception of the world it, it expands it in many ways but it can reduce and it can turn into icons uh, our idea or our notion of certain concepts or ideas that, that are in fact maybe a lot more pervasive Um, than the two-dimensional image can convey. And I think that's true about architecture, I think think we're accustomed, we've grown accustomed to thinking about architecture in a really primarily two-dimensional way, in a flat way, that the building is about what it looks like, how it appears, it's a visual um, commodity. But it's much more than that, it's much more than an aesthetic or just a sensory experience, that's very important. It's much more than that, It's, it's a complex operation and a big part of architecture and a big part of design involves understanding the context in which that design exists or which it's going to exist it's having the imagination to try and predict or project where the building or where the urban space or where the the landscape is going to be located how it's going to be used what are the operations, what are the activities that are going to take place in that space and you might call those the programmatic aspects of architecture, the programmatic aspects of design and I think that in recent times we've tend, we've tend to privilege or, or, or put at a higher level that visual or sensory perception or desire about architecture uh, ahead and, uh, and in advance of the, those programmatic needs. We've tended to kind of create monuments, create icons and that, that create a sensation or create effect without really thinking through the value of the operation that those places or those spaces can, can, can affect and it's in that zone or in that area that I think we need to start looking or trying to understand how architecture or how design can really impact on society and how it can address uh, some of the problems that we're facing big buzzword in, in design and in what I do and I think what everybody does is the idea of sustainability and sustainability is an idea or it's, it's a notion or a concept that's triangulated by three very important concepts or ideas the environment the economy and society well the global economy seems to be in, currently in a kind of meltdown situation you know there's a lot of work needs to be done there the environment uh, its its challenged, the environment that li- we live in is challenged we've got global warming, we've got rising tides, we've got all sorts of disasters taking place all sorts of things happening that, uh, that threaten the equilibrium of the world and, and the environment that we live in and society itself is also challenged and threatened by some of the issues that we're faced with and I think we've heard about some of those issues issues today and the need to change the paradigm in which we perceive those things it's really very crucial that we do that and so how does design impact on that? how can can I as a designer or anybody as a designer or any any, any architect or how can society... in what way can design impact on that? in what way can it affect that? I'm going to talk today about ways in which I think that design can impact on society very specifically on society and how that idea of, of, of design can, can infiltrate the idea of society and work with society and the operations of society in this programmatic way to effect social change this is an image of, of uh, Frederick Street uh, in the early part of the last century and I think it's kind of a good, a good image in lots of ways uh, it seems like that little triangulation of the environment, the economy and society seems to be in a kind of balance so it seems that in cities we can see that balance, that cities are kind of symbols or ciphers or ways in which we can, we can understand the confluence of those forces and there have been, you know, through time there have been times when cities have done that very successfully there are lots of examples of very good cities which, are, which have found themselves at a specific moment in time at a point of balance or equilibrium and if we look at Port of Spain as a city, and we, and we consider the idea that once upon a time Port of Spain was just a little cluster, a little fishing village at the mouth of the St. Anne's River um, and yet it's grown to be such a big complex uh, conglomeration, a big, big conurbation of lots and lots of complex ideas and the Italian architect Aldo Rossi, who is a 20th century architect who died at the end of the last century Made a very, very profound statement. He, he, he said, "Architecture is the making of the city over time," and I think that's a great, great statement because it talks on one level about the individual production or manufacture of an object, architecture, and it talks about architecture as being a form of cultural production, as something that that speaks to an issue or speaks to ideas that are bigger than the sum of the parts of the building, and it relates it to the city, and it, and it also suggests that it's a, it's a constant, dynamic changing process and I think that's a very important uh, thing to understand that's also part of the program it's it's nothing to do with visual, it's to do with the program it's how does this evolve, what are the dynamics, what are the components what are the elements that contribute to the unraveling and, and the creation of the city and it also speaks to the fact that the city is something that can be imagined in the same way as we can conceive and imagine of a space or a building that we can conceive and imagine of a city It speaks to the idea of the individual and the collective. And it's that link, the individual to the collective, the idea of the civitas, the idea of the society, that I think is a really important axiom for understanding how design can can infiltrate and how design can affect change. These are some images of how Port of Spain evolved over a very short, relatively short period of 200 years, from a colonial plan that was developed, Uh, following some ordinances sent out by the King of Spain called the Laws of the Indies many cities in the Caribbean and Latin America were were predicated and formulated on this it was was a gesture, it was a single design that addressed the needs and the requirements of of those establishing cities and new colonies and it expanded and over time as trade began to develop in Trinidad the city expanded and it grew and it started appropriating uh, more and more of the surrounding landscape until it grew to pretty much what we have today or what we understand to be the city of Spain. But as we all know that process grew also on a kind of macro scale as well and we have the evolution and the development of this big conurbation that really stretches from port of Spain to the west and, and over to almost to Aruca in the east and it seems to be continuing so we've, we've developed into this concept of idea that far exceeds the original laws of the Indies plan and has, turn, has turned into a complex um, arrangement and a matrix of infrastructures and complex issues and issues that in many ways um, have led to a lot of problems they've led to a lot of infrastructural problems and we share this with many many cities in the world, cities all over the world um, are expanding, they're increasing, they're undergoing the same type of development that we've undergone to the point where the original Port of Spain and, and the downtown Port of Spain that used to co- comprise the city, used to constitute the city, has now turned into this sort of megalopolis, this sprawl. And it's difficult to comprehend. And when we think of the problems, we think of the infrastructural problems, the water, the power, the traffic congestion, the crime, the segregation, the polarization that exists, the situation that has led to what's happened in this country recently with a state of emergency. Sometimes it seems completely insurmountable it seems like we've got to a point where we can't really control it, it's gone out of control in the way that we could control that original plan, we can't really control this anymore it's almost as if we're victims of the city rather than people that have willingly or willfully designed the city or formulated the city Another phenomenon that has happened commensurate with these, um, these issues of size and scale and infrastructure is the predomination of what I would call typologies, different types of development and we're all familiar with the high-rise development, this is some, some buildings in Hong Kong you know, these the, you know, magnificent tall structures, you know, that, that, that cost a fortune to build but they predominate, it's almost as if you can't have a city unless you've got a high-rise building in it they're, they're symbolic, they seem emblematic with modernity and, and development and then shopping malls, that's another predominant type, another prevalent type that all cities want to have. The idea that, you know, you could concentrate all these shops and all this retail activity in one place and, and create an environment for people to come and do specific um, retail functions and, and, and purchase things and, and, and be in a specific place at a specific time. And then the highway, the idea of cutting through landscapes to create how is to increase the speed from which we can, with which we can get from one point to another. And then we also have suburban development, these are all typologies that are emblematic of the type of development that has taken place in modern cities, in port of Spain and cities all over the world. Now there's nothing wrong with shopping malls, there's nothing wrong with highways and there's nothing wrong with high-rise buildings or suburban development. What is kind of wrong is that what we seem to be doing is privileging types or ways of building or ideas about building above other really very important ways of, of, of how we can conceive or how we imagine space. What about schools, you know, what about parks, what about making streets that are really comfortable to walk on and that people are not confronting traffic, noise and congestion all the time you know, where, is, where is that in the equation? It seems, that, it seems that with our focus on these types of structures and these typologies which are motivated and driven primarily because they generate profit they're part of an economic consumer system, they generate profit, that's why they're favoured that's why that they are privileged above other types of development but schools, parks, elements of cities that used to be really significant and really important are being diminished and marginalized as a consequence of the focus on this type of development they're undermining the integrity of the city, they're undermining the capacity of the city to accommodate social interaction, to accommodate everybody because the other thing that they do is they're also exclusive To work in a high-end office, you need to be qualified, you need to be educated or you need to have access or you need to have the resources to get the qualifications or the training that allow you to get the job in there and if you don't have those, then you work outside somewhere. We're not really concerned about what those places are like, you just go and work somewhere else. Similarly, those people that used to live in the cities or used to live and and, and contribute to the life of cities are being pushed out because buildings like high-rise buildings push push them out. There's a premium on land price that pushes people out of cities Um, people can't go to shopping malls unless they've got cars because those, those malls are generally located on the peripheries of cities and people can't go and buy things in shopping malls because generally they don't have enough disposable income they're not going to spend money there so those types of buildings, whilst they work for sectors of society don't work for everybody they're not equitable And yet an undue amount of attention is is, is paid by government, by society on ensuring that those types of buildings proliferate because they're seen as positive, they're seen as as positive aspects of development at the expense of types of building and types of program that could be beneficial to everybody. Types of program that encourage encourage interaction, that encourage education, that encourage people to be with each other and encourage a sense of community. These types of development dissipate society, they disaggregate society, they polarize society they create groups, isolated groups of activity to which access depends upon how much money you've got in your pocket it's a polarizing and negative force, we see it in this city and we're seeing it more and more in other cities and what ends what ends up happening is that we end up with this sort of stack that's like a time bomb, you know at some point the system must collapse, it's really not sustainable, it's like the economic system in the world today it's really not a sustainable system and we have to find ways of addressing it Now, design can't provide the solution but what it can address is it can address some of the conditions that people live in it can address some of the circumstances in which people find themselves, some of the areas of cities to which people have been kind of shunted or pushed aside because they can no longer afford to live in the center and because they can't participate actively or fully in this sort of consumerized, capitalized system and we need to we need to try and conceive of how we can transform these types of spaces how we can integrate the activities that happen in these types of spaces within a bigger picture how we can identify small moves or small gestures whether through design or through economic initiative or whether through social initiative that effect change, that allow transformation of spaces that encourage and facilitate greater participation and there are lots of ways of doing that And whilst it might seem complex when we look at cities, when we look at the aggregate parts of cities, it may seem insurmountable. But if we try and isolate individual acts, individual ways of looking at things and formulate a program, formulate a manner or way of understanding how we can do that, then we can get nearer to achieving or affecting some kind of social change. And there are examples in the world of where that's been done. Barcelona is a really good example of a city where people sat down and collectively and actively tried to conceive of ways in which they could affect change and they did it very successfully and nearer to home in Bogota Enrique Penalosa, the mayor of Bogota when he took office he decided I'm not going to spend billions of dollars on creating more highways I'm going to appropriate the funds I have and I'm going to create Places. I'm going to create parks that everybody can use I'm going to create public spaces that people can come and use and as he created more and more people came into those spaces and those spaces were very effective in encouraging participation encouraging senses of community amongst people getting people to come together getting people to forget what little trifling contests they had between each other and to start doing things together to start moving around the city together and try to start acting together so there are ways of doing it There are models and it comes back to this idea of program. What's our program? Well, I think we want to create equitable society. I think we want to create societies where there's active and equitable participation for everybody and where we can break down some of those inhibitions, we can break down those barriers. We can remove economic stigma, we can remove stigma around race, around where you live around all those factors and try and bring people together in constructed and effective ways. And in in Trinidad there are a number of examples, there are opportunities to do this all over the place. This is City Gate. And City Gate, you know, it's the entrance to the city for tens of thousands of people. People come in and out of it every day. And yet what they're confronted with is a pretty bleak, horrid, grey, unwelcoming, sometimes you know unsafe because of all the traffic that's zooming around and that space that space from city gate that moves up to independent square could be a really wonderful experience you know with landscaping um, with a, with proper accommodation of the sort of facilities and amenities that people would need and would enjoy it could become a really very very important civic space this is the Prado in Havana, It's just a, a notional idea of how that space could be treated. So that movement in and out of the city every day becomes a really important and uplifting transition from the maxi-taxi to the place where you work. In San Fernando, we've got the waterfront, which is a really very beautiful part of this landscape in this country, but is in complete neglect. There's some really beautiful fine examples of 19th century architecture that, that form in and of themselves some really fine spaces we need, to, we need to look at those spaces, we need to appropriate them we need to determine uses for those spaces that would encourage all types of activity, spaces for performance spaces for children to play in and learn that it's cool and it's okay and it's fun to be around other people places for people to do things, to do all the kinds of activities that people like to do that they like and they enjoy to do doing collectively and that benefit society and, and encourage people to interact regardless of their social or economic circumstance or places for people to reflect parks, places for people to sit and relax. And there are lots of ways we can do that there are lots of ways in which we can address and look at how we break down those barriers we can do it with architectural language, we can look at the ways that spaces are formulated to break down divisions and barriers between inside and outside between green and hard surfaces and try and generate spaces that really encourage interaction, encourage people to do things together and encourage a sense of community. We need to mandate government, we need, to, we need to provide examples to developers, to people to generate that the benefit of these may not be measured in a financial return on investment but the social benefit to us all is really immeasurable in the long run and if we do that I think we can, we can demonstrate, we, we, and we've demonstrated in the past that design has had the capacity to do that but I think if we can do that then we can demonstrate to, to, to people that society is an inclusive community and that If everybody is included, and if everybody feels part of the society, then we have a much better chance of ensuring a sustainable future. Thank you.